You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Dan Silberberg. Dan has been engaged in personal transformation and development for more than 40 years in companies of all sizes in the U.S. and in Europe. He is a true visionary, and I cannot wait for you to hear what Dan has to share about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders from all over the globe about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, I am very excited to talk to Dan Silberberg. And Mr. Silberberg has been engaged in personal transformation and development for more than 40 years in the United States and Europe. And he is a true visionary, which is awesome because that's one of the things we're going to talk about is vision. And Dan's mission is to nurture, inspire, and impact every individual with whom he comes in contact. Mm, I love it. Each of us has a gift for the world where everyone can thrive. Dan has a master's degree in leadership and coaching with core expertise in social emotional intelligence attachment theory, love it, educational principles and philosophies, humanism, existential principles, and neuroscience, love it. So Dan, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tracy. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And just for our listeners, I like to explain the context of how two tremendous people came together. Dan's one of my cohorts in the C-Suite Network. You guys have heard me talk a lot about that and how I love that group. And, And just whenever I meet tremendous people there, which is like every day, and Dan has graciously agreed to let me pick his brain on leadership. So Dan, I appreciate you being on here. Leadership, everybody just loves learning about leadership. But as you mentioned earlier, man, is it often misunderstood. And my dad wrote a a speech called The Price of Leadership. He was very pragmatic and he really was a very experiential man and talked about the price of leadership that you're going to have to pay in order to truly be calling yourself a true authentic leader. And I'd love to unpack each of those concepts with you and get your input as to, in your vast experience and studies, what this means for you. Sure. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's I go. love it. All right. So Dan, the first thing my dad talks about is loneliness. Okay. And we've all heard that it's lonely at the top, but can you explain for me from your experience or your lens, what does loneliness and leadership mean for you? Maybe a time you've been through it and maybe a word of input or exhortation for our listeners out there. Sure. Well, one of the things that happens is there's a thing called situational leadership. And situational leadership is when you just get to be promoted to CEO. And all of a sudden, you have moved from peer to peer to the top of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And what that does, if you just let that happen, is it excommunicates you from the community, right? So that's one form of it. Another form is a company is not doing well, and they bring in a CEO from the outside. That CEO has no institutional knowledge. He has no root system of relationship, right? So already he's got a team of people that are unsure. He's got a team of people, some of whom don't understand why they didn't get the job. And there's a lot of external things that go on. Loneliness, I believe, is a self-inflicted wound. Mm -hmm. So if I choose to take my title and distance myself and be up on the 35th floor with glass enclosures and I have security guards. Am I lonely because I'm lonely or am I lonely because I've created it? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's all about, can I over communicate? Can I 
be a CEO and at the same time see myself in this community. Mm. To the extent that I'm leading, I will, if I'm authentic, if I walk the talk, people will actually find me attractive and approachable. Okay. If I choose to separate by my actions, my communications, I only talk to my top five people, Mm -hmm. right? That command and control, dominator culture, top down is not where the future is going. I know we're going to get into vision. Right. That game is coming to an end now. Right. And so if you're one of those isolated, take a look in the mirror. Yeah, I love it. Now, can I unpack two things you said? Because I love the fact that you talked about self-inflicted, but, and you know how before we were kind of conversing before this started, I, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have maybe been in the same situation. If you were brought in from the outside, as I always was, to fix things, Mm -hmm. and you have to deal with that initial, why wasn't somebody, and I should have been smart enough to know, why wasn't somebody from the inside? How did it get like this? And realized it. And the initial, and like you said, until you prove yourself in the community, can you have any tips for people that are good? Because it's very unsettling when you get brought in to do a job and realize I'm not trying to make myself an outsider, but you were viewed as that because you came in. I always think of office space with the headhunter that comes in to do the downsizing and people know you're being brought in because the house is kind of in disarray. Can you talk a little bit about that? Any words of advice or if you've been through that? Oh, I've been through it on multiple occasions. So I did most of my career was going into companies where the the chairman would say, it's not really that bad, but you would be a good guy for the job so that you come in and find out COVID-19 isn't even close to what you just inherited because you're already on the respirator. So one of the things that I found to be particularly effective was understanding two things. One, could I really create a compelling vision for the opportunity? And number two, to what extent was it a culture match to who I am when I'm authentic? Love it. Okay, so I have two different examples. One, I was brought in into a company that was sold by Goldman Sachs to an investor group. Okay. I had 11 vice presidents, and within 60 days, five of them had resigned. Mm Mm-hmm because I brought in a meritocracy where I expected result in a paternalistic organization where if daddy put his arm around your shoulder, it was park your brain at the door and do as you're told and you'll get a bonus. When I asked my admin who'd been there 25 years, what's with that? She goes, they already know they can't compete in that environment. Wow. They never even gave me a chance to put my arms around them and say, I see greatness here, let's go. Yeah. So as a CEO in a new environment, for me, the first thing you have to do is interview your team. Okay. So when we say that leadership, everybody is leading all the time, the only question is to what? Mm-hmm. There's a group of people that want to be sycophants. There are a group of people who want to be obstructors. There are a group of people who are two-faced. There's a group of people who are in the gossip game right? And so it's really important right away to understand who is your team? Who's going to sync with you? So it's not that people are bad or good, but if you're driving an organization, it's like skull rowing. If all the rows are in the water and they're all synchronized, you get a beautiful row. And if they're out of sync, you're a mess. Right. And so what I found, and I guess this might sound harsh, 
get rid of the waste as quickly as possible so that you can stabilize, value the people that are going to remain and actually bring them up in terms of what you see in them that they haven't seen in themselves. Because for the most part, if you're inheriting something where it hasn't been working, there's probably a morale problem. There's probably people questioning their own capability and people want to be in a friendly, thriving environment. Okay. So I always viewed my job of how do I get them to see that they can thrive rapidly and achieve and grow into what they want to become. Well, I really appreciate you saying that because, you know, in, in my studies, I did a lot on followers. And like you said, it's neither good nor bad. It's, is it a good fit? And you have to be picking up what the leader's putting down. And that entails, I love that you talk, there's syncophats, obstructors, and God, everybody's like, no, 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 everybody's intrinsically good. And I'm like, maybe not for your leadership style, they're not. And also as a leader, you need to know what kind of follower brings out the best in you. We talked about Message Garcia before I turned the record button on. I'm like you. My ideal follower is the Colonel, Colonel Rowan that just went out and figured it out. If I get followers that are like, well, how do you want me to do this? And I mean, that triggers me as a leader. So I know you said it sounds harsh, but you, in the end, you save everybody a lot of, they resonate with who they're going to resonate with. And if it's not you, then it has to be somebody, then find who you're going to resonate with. So I really appreciate your input on that. Right. So building on that. So one of the things when I took over this middle market company and I brought in a team of 11 new people and for the first month, people would show up in my office and they'd go, why don't you come and tell us what to do? And I'm paying these people reasonably good six figure incomes. And I'm like, that's not my job. I hired you because you're brilliant. And what I want is for you to do your job. I do walk around. I do ask questions. Sure but I'm really interested in you. And it was the first time for many of them that they actually got to step into their brilliance and be responsible. And that's really, really important to me is that I guess Jim Collins would say, put the right people on the bus in the right seat. And the other is knock on the door. Have you got a minute? I started with that. And I realized that if I had a minute, I never had an hour. So I shifted it and I said, look, here's the deal. I have a minute if the house is burning. If it's a decision that you can make and it's a mistake and we can learn from it, make it. But if you come three times with decisions that you should be making and you're wasting my time, then the got a minute will move away from you. And do you know how empowering that was to a team? So we had our weekly meetings. I did walk around during the day to find out what was going on. But all of a sudden, people were making good decisions, and then they were making more of them, and they built their confidence. That, to me, is the leadership. I don't want to solve your problem unless I have to. I love it. I love it. And the other part I want to unpack where you talked about loneliness is when you talked about just if the leader only keeps the top five people. And I got to tell you, I'm so glad you hit on that because, you know, there's that the boys club or even the girls club where you just look at Bob's whatever, his core horsemen, the four horsemen or, or the club of this. And it's like, boy, as a leader, you need to know at all levels what's going on because exactly. you're all your stock in that. And the other thing is, yes, you have your trusted advisors. I get that. I was in the military. They've earned their rank. They're in my in crowd. But you also want to make sure that it's not an exclusionary thing where other people feel that their voices can be heard too. So I think I missed that out as a leader in my earlier years. And that's a really important point that you brought up. 
Great. Well, I think there's, a, I'm not sure if it's a book or it's a saying, but there was a sergeant who went to one of the generals in the tent and said, sir, generals eat last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas they thought because of their rank, they should eat first. Right. No. Right. It's the other way around. Right. And for leaders too, just because you have your core that are your team, the whole unit is your collective. So they can still feel alienated. You know, if mom and dad just go on vacations all the time without the kids, it's going to be like, they don't care about me anymore. So I'm really glad you brought that up for loneliness too, because even if you're not alone as one, you can kind of isolate yourself. You know, Do do you ever watch the show Undercover Boss? Yes. Yes. One of my favorite shows. Yes. And invariably what happens to the CEO is he goes out to do the work, which he's pretty incapable of doing. But more importantly, he's when he deals with those individuals who, quote, aren't on his little group, how all people want to know is you that you appreciate what they're doing. They want to be seen. They want to be known. They want to know they matter. Mm-hmm. And as if you're a leader... That you really can't delegate to anybody else because the situational title gives you a status, right? Really in business, a lot of leadership is status. Do you want to hold the status or do you want to make it more where you can, like I say, it's not peer-to-peer, we're not equal, right? but we're both human beings and we both have stories and we both have lives and we both have families and we both have issues that, and when someone can take a listen... It's kind of amazing. And all of a sudden you build loyalty. And isn't that what a leader should be doing too, is to build yeah. loyalty, to build capacity, to build capability of its people. Yeah, well, I love, the, I love how you put that because you know what? There is a hierarchy, okay? It's life. In everything, there is an order and a structure, okay? So people are like, well, no, we're a network. We're all, cl-. okay, I get that. But there still has to be, and I love how you put, we're not equal, but we're all human beings. So th- somebody still, the buck stops with somebody. Somebody's social is tied to that EIN. So right. somebody's ultimately responsible for, in a court of law, if something bad goes down. So we can't all just be in this network where there is in some form of hierarchy, but I love how you hit on the, but we still can be, that, that's where we network as a collective, as seeing the value everybody brings. And I think right. sometimes people are like, well, they take it too far and go, well, th- well, there should be no boss. And I'm like, okay, but we're not ants. We're not wired like that. So somewhere, somebody's setting out the design of what gets done. So that's really interesting because I struggle with that sometimes when I hear it. I know what they're saying, but in reality, I'm like, but something's So for entrepreneurs, let me give you the perspective when somebody comes up to you and says that there should be no boss. Right. You know what, Tracy, I agree with you. Right. It's just that I have this quarter of a million dollar personal guarantee with the bank. And you know what? I'm actually happy to transfer (laughs) that ownership to you. And then I'm good with it. And all of a sudden, the reality of it sets in. But what that person is really saying, I don't feel valued. I don't feel that what I'm doing, my mission here isn't fulfilling me. That's the opportunity to have the conversation. Absolutely. What's missing? There was a magic wand and no boss. What would that look like for you? Mm -hmm. If you could define that job, what would that look like for you? And you know what? It's probably not that far off from where they already are. Right. But they have power now. So here's the analogy. When you want to get your four-year-old to school and you put their outfit out, I don't want to wear that today. You have to wear it. We have to get going. And the war starts. 
if you put out two outfits, Johnny, which outfit do you want to wear today? In three seconds, the kid picks what he wants. So this is about personal power, right? If we empower people to make their choices within the framework, we have so much more buy-in. Mm-hmm. So with 69 to 72% of people saying they're not engaged in their work, that's a leadership problem. Mm-hmm. Part of that is how's the job defined? Is the work valuable? How many times do we go in companies and they go, this has no value and it's 70% of my day? Right. Right. So right. there's that opportunity there to empower a workforce. Right. And what would you say then to them if it's not a good fit for the work? Doesn't that then somehow fall on them to say, hey, if this is, you know what I'm saying? Then I need to go find something that I'm a better fit for, that I can get all behind the mission. Because sometimes don't you feel it's, it's not just empowerment, but it's a value non-congruence or that they don't, like I always felt yes. empowered with everything I did, but in the end I'm like, I don't want to make these widgets anymore. This doesn't do it for me. I was empowered. But I was like, but in heaven, is this really going to, am I going to be able to look at the legacy of my life and said, I shipped a bunch of chip making devices that were valued at this. I don't care anymore for that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yes, I do. So again, if all of us are leaders and we accept our personal responsibility. There you go. Thank you. Right. One of the things that I did is I would get resumes to hire people. I would scan it for the 10 seconds and I would never use it in the interview Mm -hmm. because If you have a vice president or a manager or a managing director, somehow if you were capable of getting the title, I'll give you the table stakes. So what I'm really interested in is tell me about culture. Tell me about where you thrive. Tell me about what matters to you, not in the business, but outside of it. Do you have any interest to where you're actually committed to something for yourself? Mm -hmm. Tell me about integrity. And everybody said, I have it. I said, I know we all do. What I'm more interested in, where did it slip? I know we're all authentic, but we're not authentic till we can admit where we're inauthentic. Mm. So I don't really spend a lot of time so much on the skill set. Right. Right. By the time I'm done interviewing now with my attachment theory and everything else and the questions I have, I know you really, really well. I probably know you better than you know you, Right. And I can now know this is a person who's a maintenance player. It just put them in the seat and that's where they want to stay. I know there's other people, they're ADD, HD, whatever. And that might be great in a place in the company. So it's part of the leader's role to ferret out what you're bringing in. And most people hire 50% wrong. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. That's ridiculous, right? So the interview, so as a leader, learning how to interview, this is where social emotional intelligence comes in. When I'm sitting, having this conversation that we had before we started, I knew what the energy was. I knew if there was attraction and connection. I knew if this was going to be off. You sort of stated where you wanted to go. I said, this is a great fit. If it wasn't a great fit, you know what I would have said? This may not be the best for either of us. Right. So I wouldn't have wanted to embarrass you, but a lot of people, oh my God, I got it. I got this opportunity to do a podcast. I'll do it no matter what. No, that's inauthentic. Right. Right. Right? So we need to know what we're feeling emotionally. Yes. We can't have empathy or feeling or belonging or understanding 
of our company and our team to a degree greater than we have it for ourselves. Okay. That's a big deal. So if you're an angry guy, if you have a short fuse, if whatever those things are, rest assured that will trigger and do other things in the company. So this is where this authenticity is really important. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Dan, we need to do some schedule on interviews because there's so many places, but I got to say structured. Okay. I want to thank you also for saying, I love how you hit on the personal power. Amen, brother. But I love how you also hit on the personal responsibility. I mean, I just love that too. I mean, you're hitting the, not everything is just one-sided. Everything has this dual dance. Exactly. The good, the bad, the light, the dark. I mean, you, you always have the, the, even the shadow side of leadership, the shadow side of ourselves. I mean, my empowerment can go off the rails to an obsession if left unchecked. So thank you so much. Okay, so loneliness, weariness. How do you stay refreshed? You're talking about, you know, the leader, the role of leadership, but can you tell me how you define weariness, different types of weariness for a leader and what your recommendations would be for addressing that? Yeah. As I told you, I'm 70 years old. I don't sound like I'm 70 and I have a life force that's pretty dynamic. My belief is very simple. I do things that enhance my aliveness (gasps) and I stop very quickly things that diminish. I love it. Enhance your aliveness. I love that. So for me, aliveness, play, and intention are the three things that I focus on. And I'm very quick to move people away or things away that don't do that. So as a leader, part of my skill set is what do I love doing and what would I like to delegate and follow up on, right? And so I happen to have both a left-right brain polarity that's pretty integrated. But the truth is I'd much rather play in innovation, in visioning, in creativity, I can do the other stuff Mm -hmm. pretty well, actually, but that's why I have a CFO and that's why I have a sales guy because I prefer to play up here. I don't necessarily want to be the salesperson. That doesn't mean I don't go meet with customers, right? but I'm not the guy to put in front of somebody who can't make a decision because I don't suffer fools well. So I know this about myself and I tell my people, see, I don't hide it. I actually (laughs) explain it. And so I get put in the right situations. Those are enhancing. So there's people like Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins plays at this really high level of energy, but he steals the energy from the crowd. Okay? Mm -hmm. I don't. Right. I actually put my energy out. I don't steal it from you. So if I'm going to do that for any length of time, and it's not enhancing my aliveness and my play, my sense of humor and my my own world, I'd end up in bed half the day because yes. I'm real. You won't believe this, but actually, I'm an INTJ and I'm very introverted. But I actually have learned to be a situational expert in yep. terms of of being external. But when we're done, I can't wait to go and just be by myself for half an hour. And so I think knowing that, like, do you need to take fifteen minute meditation breaks and be mindful? right? One shift also, there's two words. One is phenomenological and the other is ontological. So phenomenological leaders are people who think they're still out there to achieve and prove themselves. Ontological leaders are internally being with themselves. 
So I'm at a stage of life where I already was a CEO for 25 years. I'm just not interested in chasing that anymore, right? I'm now interested in legacy and give back and leaving a footprint and knowing how to do a combination. There's no reason for a leader to be weary. That's just poor self-management. I love it. A little judgmental on my part. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you know, you, you like you keep hitting on it. Know yourself, and so many people they know what's draining them, but they won't stop it. And what is that Einstein insanity definition of insanity? Doing the same thing again and again. So until you're honest with yourself and you own it, and you own, and that's where I want to get into the next term, which is abandonment. And uh-huh. my dad said we need to stop what we like and want to think about in favor of what we need and ought to. And it sounds like your weariness by not suffering fools gladly, you really abandon the toxicity, the drains, I call them the time sucks, to get yes. very self-love with yourself and your resources. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. Can you unpack abandonment for us, Dan? Yeah, I think for me, when I hear the word abandonment, what I'm really hearing is I feel I've lost my dominion and my agency. That's what comes up for me Mm -hmm. is that things are so out of control. You know, like I guess the analogy is you're driving down the highway and you hit an ice slick and all of a sudden the car starts doing donuts and no matter how hard you grab the wheel, Okay. You just can't get it to, it, it's almost like it has a light, it takes on a life of its own. Right. And at some point you either hit the guardrail and it stops you or somehow the donut stops and you're just going the wrong way, but you can turn the car. Mm-hmm. That's where we lose agency and dominion. And that's the easiest way for me is that you don't feel that you can manage, that you can put your arms around an issue, Right. Or you're so at the effect. So you happen to be the, and we've all seen this, the CEO goes in and he doesn't get along or she doesn't get along with the board. And there's all of this tension. And at some point he just, or she goes, I'm done with this. And so they go to their office and the board goes to their office and there's this thing going on. Mm -hmm. And eventually the person is fired. Mm -hmm. That's the abandonment. That's the, I can't get in touch with my internal in a way that I can speak authentically to my board to get to conflict resolution. Okay. That's how I would look at it. And it's when we're in our drama, right? It's, and part of it's when we're being triggered, right? All of those things. And again, yeah. this is the self-awareness. Oh, when I'm talking to Tracy and she's not laughing with me and she, I can see she's stern and we're not connecting. And I, you know what? I just don't care. I'm going to leave it there. No, no, no. That's when you end up abandoning the relationship, yourself, the opportunity to grow, right? As opposed to Tracy, what I'm noticing, what I'm thinking is I don't like you a lot. What I'm noticing is your face has changed from this smiling, warm, inviting to kind of a down mouth, you know? And I'm feeling fear that this isn't really going well. And if I had that conversation with someone, they would have to go, this guy's being really vulnerable. Right. And now we're going to switch. See, the name of, okay, in any conversation, there are what's called frames. Frames collide and never do both frames sit equal. One frame always overtakes another. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. So I just change the state by being vulnerable and inviting you now to be vulnerable. And you go, but Dan, here's what's really upsetting me. 
And what I'm noticing is that I've got this shallow breathing going on and there's something telling me there's something being hidden here. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we have a chance to engage back and now we're not in abandonment, we're actually in connection. So as a leader, are you willing to risk? I love that. Head, what you're noticing and what you're feeling, it's three-dimensional. Your head lies. I thought Tracy was really angry with me. She actually just changed her mouth on her own, had nothing to do with me. And she was actually so enthralled. It was like, but I didn't know that because I'm not a mind reader. But now we talk and I go, oh, you know what? This is a a good person. Right. So we make up stuff. When we just use our brain, we're not in our truth. Our truth is in our body. It's not up here. I love it. Well, you hit the thing on the head, abandon the fact that you can read everybody's minds and motives. Okay. We're not God. And like you said that, I love that abandon that preconceived leap to conclusions and that, well, it's over. It's done. This person hates me. You know, you've been a speaker and sometimes you're looking at the audience and you're thinking, oh dear Lord, (laughs) this is not going well. And then at the end, they're like, that was just life changing. And I'm just like, of course they're INTJs. And they're not like, they're like looking at me like, Oh, uh-huh. and I'm always reminded, abandon that because I'm so quick to like, what's going on? And people process differently and at different speeds. So what, what a Absolutely. great take on abandonment. I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay. So now we're going to talk about vision. And my dad would always say, you know, vision is one of those things that some of us, I mean, we're not Nostradamus or, or Moses or Mark Zuckerberg, but my dad would always say, Tracy, vision is just seeing what needs to be done and doing it. You know, you talked about a message of Garcia, quite the visionary, but can you share with us what vision has meant to you and how yep. you really knew that you were dialing it in and how you amplified it? Yeah. This might sound a little woo-woo for normal people, but I actually just channel stuff. And I don't mean I channel a spirit who talks to me. What I was able to do from the earliest of my job assignments was to create a vision of this business. Mm. So I'll give you an example. I was 26 years old. I went to Levi Strauss. I got hired to a $7 million division. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm 26 years old. It's 1976. I'm making 85,000 a year plus stock options bonus. I had just bought an Alfa Romeo and had a townhouse in Sausalito overlooking Tiburon. Between the time I got hired and the time I showed up, now I'm in the women's part of the apparel sector, in a 100-plus-year-old, multi-billion-dollar, 501 men's gene business. Between the time I'm hired and the time I get there, I get a new global vice president who came out of that gene business. And the day I arrive, before I even find a desk and a phone, he tells me he wants to close the division. And I'm like, oh, I don't think this is going to go well. So I said, can you just give me a couple of days? And I went back to him and I said, look, here's the deal. I'm shortening the story. I said, here's the deal. This little $7 million business that you don't want, we have two options. One, I can take it to $50 million for Levi or I'll buy it today. And he was like, what? And I was like, let me explain to you how I'm going to go from 70 to $50 million. And three years later, it was 130 million and product around was a half a billion dollars, right? And I have a skill of every company I went to of seeing the game. Mm -hmm. Those are the jobs I took. I had lots of opportunities where I couldn't get the vision going. 
if I got, so most people, they play to see if they win. Most companies have no idea if they've made the month until the last day of the month. Right. I knew by the third day of the month if I was going to win the month or not. In okay. 40 years, I never lost a bonus. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I win and then I play because if I win, I see the house built. Mm-hmm. So I know everything. that. And so my pivots, it's not that I'm 100% on, but my pivots aren't 180. They're three degrees here and five degrees here. I love it. Here. Okay. But I have a skill innately of looking at products, markets, channels, geographies, and creating categories of one. And I've done that my whole career. So I took a a $400 million business, had shrunk to 250 over five years, and in 18 months, added back to 390, mm-hmm. right? I started the first all-natural, no-artificial, sweetened, flavored beverage in the United States, got called by Coke, Pepsi, and Nestle, and they said, how did you do this? You're not from our industry, I was able to bring aspirational lifestyle and style and design to a category that sees itself as the lowest common denominator. So part of my vision is the breadth of different industries and channels. I never got in a company that went A to B to C to D to E in the same company. Right. So I've played in multiple industries, multiple channels, global 2000, mid-market startup right? Consumer product, technology, business consulting. And so one of my skills and vision, I think, is this ability to look at a million data points and and synthesize it into something that can be expressed that people can either align with or not. Right. And so I think in the vision part, you have to get out of industry think. And I think part of that is going to museums, going to theater, going to symphony, going to these creative outlets that inspire something different. And that's why I said in the interview, if all you want to talk to me about is digital marketing, you're boring me. I don't care. What I care about is what do you do outside that gives you a bigger life that makes you, again, what enhances your aliveness? I don't know how you teach vision. I really don't. I think it's either innate or not. Mm -hmm. Sorry. If I could bottle that one, that would be my new business. Right. But But I I think you recognize and you said from the beginning, if there's just, there's going to be different people that you still need the integrators and the executors. It's the E-Myth Revisited. You still need the technicians. Absolutely. Not everybody. I mean, Michael Gerber says it. we can't be all things all at once all the time. We'll die in like five seconds. And the business will grind to a halt. So I love that. Now, you said a couple of times, and maybe I misheard it. Was there ever a time where you said you couldn't get the vision going? Because again, that is the right people on the right team supporting you as a leader. Can you unpack any of that? Well, what I would say is like in Hollywood, the people who have great careers from the ones who don't are the best editors to know which movies they're best for. Okay, right? Very few of those actors are so genius that they can take a piece of crap and make it gold. Right. And so if you're talented, getting opportunity is not your challenge. Picking the right ones and editing is, okay? That's the biggest distinction. Now, I did have this, where I told you about this global 2000 company that went from 400 to 250. That was such a poor culture fit that in 18 months, even though I took it from 250 to 390, I was so disruptive within their environment, I got fired, right? I got fired three different times doing this with companies 
and three times all those companies went out of business because see in maintenance they think oh Dan fixed it oh, we're no 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 because they go right back to what they did right and so they lie also they'll come in and say to you I don't care what it takes get this to work but when you get it to work if you're and particularly that particular company never let me hire anybody on my own team it was all the inheritance of five leaders before me over five years and when i left the chairman asked me why do you think it didn't work i said well one of two things either you're incompetent because you've hired five of us and all of us had great reputations before we came here or you have decided that the monkeys can run the zoo and leadership is expendable and until you change the monkeys no leader is going to make this work not even you guys cuz you all have tried it and put your thumb on the scale as well right so i think that's why i think culture and values are the biggest determinants in an interview of whether you're getting the right people and whether the people themselves are choosing the right environment Well, I don't know what even to say. Okay. First of all, I think you are my brother from another mother because I'm like you. I run to different industries. I grow my experience bag and I'm not kidding. I love looking for the Malcolm Gladwell, the threads across everything. You know, what are the generalizables that we all can learn from? But I'm telling you for our listeners out there, you just said a whole world of truth. If you don't have the leadership above you when you're brought in, and I like you, I had to laugh too. I didn't technically get fired, I left, but it was clear oh. they loved my results, but they were never going to let me become one of them. And yeah. so I say that because there's leaders out there that are dealing with this. I get the pain point phone calls all the time. I got one right after I tune off with you. You're going to come in, it's the old Albert Einstein's great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre <laughs> minds. The mediocre minds are the monkey, they let the and they want you to come in and fix it because it's all about the money but they're only going to let you go so far so now i like let you. me say one quick thing to oh, you oh yeah 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 go ahead all right companies and cultures are systems yes if you see what's going on in america right now there's a system the whole strategy of a system is homeostasis mm-hmm. a family system is homeostasis Tracy, you were the good girl. John was the bad boy. No, no, no. You don't get to play that role, right? You could be excommunicated if you become the bad girl. Sure. Yeah. So a system, you'll see the extent to which a system will do what it needs to survive in homeostasis. And that wild. I love that you said that. And so I always knew it. And listen, I know I'm not the perfect leader. That's why I got my PhD. I'm still learning. But <laughs> you got to be able to look at it and say I'll take what's coming me, but it's a beautiful thing to be able to look at it and say, but here's the part where I need to never get near and touch with the 10-foot pole because I'm I like you. I it was when I was younger and I'm like, yeah, let's go in and let's make it happen. But like you said when I left and those two companies that had this happened to are no longer around either. Okay? Right. And it wasn't right. just because of me, it was because of them. I can only help exactly. you so much, but I have no regrets about it because I fought the good fight and I'm sure you it makes good drinking stories, doesn't it? When we go in there and tell them Hmm, you know, but so I'm a Boston Patriot fan because I'm Uh from Boston and Tom Brady leaves and now I'm a Tampa Bay fan. And look what he's doing versus what's happening to the Patriots. The Mm -hmm. Patriots are a 20 year, the best franchise in the history of sports. And look what one guy could do just through his own will and determination. Right. And Malcolm Gladwell is exactly right. It's 10,000 hours and a determination, 
a dedication and a commitment to mastery and excellence. Yes. And those are the things, the five things that I look for in people and that drive me. I love it. Mastery, excellence, commitment, dedication. I love it. And I love your last point about also for leaders going in, you make sure the leadership above you is going to support you to do what, because I got in the same thing with you. I got to the point where, well, here's who I need to bring in. And they're like, no, you're picking these. And so, and it was the exact same thing you meant. Thank you, Dan, for sharing that. It yeah. wasn't just, I'm just kidding. I know it wasn't just me, but it's good to hear it comes from like, I'm just kind of kind of successful, but from somebody like you, people are people. And like you said, systems are, Buckminster Fuller, one of my heroes, boy, he I goes do. well into systems and what we can learn from the systems and what we should be aware of dealing with the systems. So, okay, well, we could go on forever. So Dan, we have unpacked loneliness, weariness, abandonment, and vision. I am like so refreshed by this conversation. Anything else that you would like that we have not touched on that you have our wrapped listeners dialed in right now that you would like to share with them? Yeah, the one thing I think that's really important. So Socrates said, a life unexamined is a life not worth living. So I'll leave you with that. Mm. My favorite poet, Rilke, there's only one journey, the journey inside. The oracle at Delphi, know thyself. And what's really the most impactful is write your narrative. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a quick story. As you said, I teach a group out of Norway in masculine archetypes. So here's one guy's story. The story is when I was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck and I actually died, but the doctor revived me. And when I went home, my bipolar mother left when I was four years old and my father needing feminine energy doted most on my sister and I felt left alone. Mm -hmm. That's his story. Do you want to hear my story for him? Yes. So I asked him, I said, tell me your narrative differently. See, that narrative is now your belief system. Mm -hmm. It's what keeps you stuck in not having this bigger life. So I said, tell me your narrative differently. And he goes, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I asked him three times and I could see the fear on his face. And I said, here's the story. So when I was born, I came out and the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck. And there was a doctor who was so brilliant that he knew the gifts in life that I was coming into the world with needed to be here. And he refused to give up and he revived me. And when I went home, although my mother had this bipolar issue, and although my father seemed to dote most, what became apparent to me was that the gifts in the light that I had were so blinding that they took it to mean that I actually could fend better for myself than my sister. And what that did for me was to allow me to step into my greatness unadulterated. Which life would you want to live, his or mine? So for all of your leaders and all of your listeners, tell your story mythopoetic. Mythopoetic. The mythopoetic. I just gave you a mythopoetic version. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry. I was writing that down. Not that I can't re-listen to this, but I have to write it down right now. Man, I love it. I love it. And this is the brilliance that you can see as a leader in your team. I'll give you one other quick one. Victor Frankel, who's another of my heroes. One of my heroes. Oh my gosh. Right? Yep. So Victor Frankel is 63 years old. And as you know, he actually was a survivor at Auschwitz and wrote a phenomenal book on the meaning of life. 
So at 63, he decided he hadn't done enough and he decided he was going to be a pilot. And he took flying lessons. And when you're a pilot, they teach you a thing called crabbing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So crabbing is that if you're going to fly from point A to point B and you go straight with the headwinds and the different winds, you will always fall below where point B is. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you actually fly above and then as you get closer, it will drop you down. If you choose to see your workforce as point A to point B, they will always be less than what you had hoped for. And when you can fly up here, you will always see them better than who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's the work that you'll do to have them in their greatness. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's the game. Well, and the listeners know my dad's stuff and I'm going to send you some of his books, but somebody asked me that. Eli Marcus from C-Suite asked me that yesterday. They're like, what was your dad's secret of success? And I said, because he saw whatever, he saw the best in everybody. He saw their greatness and he authentically, not to manipulate them, not to con them, but he truly saw their greatness. And that was it. It wasn't that he sold millions of books or spoke all over the, it's just that whenever he looked at you, you were just like, I'm the greatest thing in the whole wide world. And that is just the most beautiful gift you can give somebody. All right, I'll leave you with one more. Yeah. So when I was 18 years old, I lived in California and I was Bobby Kennedy's youth coordinator. And I actually was at the ambassador the night he was assassinated. But one of the things he said is most people see things as they are and ask why. I see things that never were and ask why not. Why not? I love it. Right. And this is another, so this is a frame, right? I was talking about frames. And I think that's part of the genius of any leader is being able to reframe. Elon Musk totally reframes. Jeff Bezos totally reframes, right? right? And this is a real skill that you can actually acquire. Right. I love that. Thank you, Dan. Oh, well, Dan, thank you. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, we could meet in the quantum field, but for those of you who don't fly up there, LinkedIn is is probably the best. So Dan Silberberg, yeah, that would be the best. And also, if they want, I have a calendar called GO, so go.oncehub.com forward slash one insight to thrive. And that's a calendar. And I'm happy to give your audience 30 minutes of my best if that's of interest to them. So we always want to be giving as leaders. So I think those two would be the best. I love it. Thank you, Dan. And we'll put the links down there for our listeners. Dan, thank you so much. And the gift to extend continuing with our uh, listeners. So please connect with Dan and to our listeners out there. I know you have been inspired. If you like what you heard, please be sure and ring that bell and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to. If you would even do us the honor of a review, we would be so thankful. And please share this far and wide. You know, there's people out there that would love to hear exactly what Dan was talking about. So Dan, thank you again for just dispelling your wisdom. I'm so thankful. I just, well, I'm getting you back on for another one because there's so much to unpack. Well, awesome. This has been great. I appreciate the invitation and you are particularly generative and I just feel warm inside and a lot of joy for being here. So thanks for having me. Likewise, Dan. And to our tremendous listeners out there, thank you for being a part of our tribe. Never forget to stop paying that price of leadership. Thanks so much and have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts. 
or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.